From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Today we sit down with Jen Reamer of Reamer Family Farm as she shares her story of how a former vegetarian grew into a passionate rancher. Hear her story of moving from the Chicago suburbs and her regular job scene to her husband's family farm 10 years ago. She's committed to grass-fed locally raised meat, stewarding the land, and raising her daughters on the farm. Hear tips on how she manages it all. Jen and her family have a regenerative and diverse livestock farm. They raise pastured meat and eggs in South Central Wisconsin. They're transitioning the farm from Jen's in-laws and a former commodity beef and crop operation to 100% grass-fed beef and lamb, as well as pastured poultry and hogs. Jen focuses on regenerating soil and bringing diverse ecology back to the land. We are kicking off a new series of our In Her Boots podcast with Jen Reamer of Reamer Family Farm in beautiful Broadhead, Wisconsin. Thank you so much for sharing your story, which I know did not start on the farm, right? Right. Uh, but we must be open to things, even former vegetarians who yes. are now meat raisers. I love it. I love it. But yeah. where where did you start? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Sterling, Illinois, and then went to college at UW-Platteville, and that was where I met my beef farmer husband. Um, and, and you were a vegetarian at the time, right? I was. I was. A- <laughs> I love I, it. Was. I uh, We had a dinner with a bunch of friends, and I was, like, picking out ground beef from what he had cooked for us. And he was like, what are you doing? And was, like, totally terrified. At the time, I kid you not, said, my dad would disown me if he even knew that I knew you. <laughs> so that was 20 years ago, and here we are. Yeah. Yeah. So we started actually selling sides and quarters of beef almost by accident to our suburban friends in the high school that my husband worked in. And it was just the stuff that Bryce's dad was raising on finishing on corn. But people loved it and really liked knowing where it came from and getting it right from us. And pretty soon we were selling beef to half the school. And we thought, oh, gosh, we we can actually do this. And Wanted to do things differently, wanted to do grass-fed and wanted to um, not get caught up in the commodity market scene, kind of, because we didn't see that as profitable. Um, so sort of living in the suburbs, selling meat, and then I uh, had dreams of doing things differently and thought we were like creating a new way to farm, sort of, you know, like, ah, we're going to do this grazing thing and and had a couple crazy ideas and then actually went to the Moses Conference about... Yay. I don't know, 12 years ago now or something, and were completely blown away that there were other people that were having the same ideas and teaching on the things that we really wanted to do. So we were super inspired, super overwhelmed. 
um, and just felt like, okay, we, we can actually do this. So we had some resources moving forward then. So when you were talking about first selling the beef, you and Bryce both had other careers yeah. in education, living in the suburbs of Chicago. And this land, though, where you are now on the farm, it has been in Bryce's family for yep. generations, right? Yeah, since 1927. Bryce's grandfather started the beef herd in 1927 and um, has been on our farm um, since then. And we have a great old historic house that his family didn't build, but is, you know, 160 years old. So there's a lot of history there. So with the growing market at school, that prompted the seed of the idea that, hey, maybe we could do this, right? And how did that evolve with you? I mean, shifting, I don't you call it, life journeys, life paths to something rural, something farm? Yeah, well, I grew up on weekends going to my grandparents' farm. My dad's family um, had a dairy farm and did crops. So, you know, when I was 12 years old, I, I would have to mow little square bales of hay. Okay, yep. <laughs> and my grandpa would give me 20 bucks a day for like 10 hours of work and I would feel super rich. And that, you know, it was just, we did that on weekends. And I got a biology education degree. So I always loved being outdoors and kind of the whole systems aspect of it. I didn't really ever envision myself as a farmer. Um, but when it came time to decide where to raise our kids, either in the suburbs or to really try and make this farming thing work. Um, We went with the farm because we knew that if we didn't do it, that the family farm would probably get sold off Um, and just sort of had a desire to, to get back to the land and really be our own bosses was a big motivation. We had good jobs and gave up Gave up a lot to, to regular, come back. Weekly. Regular paychecks. But, you know, there's a lot to be said about being able to make your own decisions and make your own schedule. You bet. And you are reinventing the farm, but really recrafting how it operates, right? From yeah. the, the grazing and the pasture. And you said Moses was a good resource. What are other mm-hmm. things that you had found helpful Yeah, um, a lot of books. We just read like crazy. A lot of Joel Salatin and Alan Nation and um, Stockman Grass Farmer, all these, you know, um, grass fed rock stars that people have all heard of. And really just using the local resources, finding people around that were doing similar things. Bryce's dad did a great job of um, maintaining buildings. So we actually had a hog barn. So that was one of the next steps we took when we moved to the farm was getting a few pigs and they sort of grazed out back of the hog barn and were in there in the winter and um, got a few chickens and just sort of learned as we went and started small scale before we amped it up to sell to customers. So we describe things now at Reamer Family Farm. So what are you selling? What are you raising? Because you've done different, we can, we can walk, talk backwards because there's, I know things you've done, experiments, right? That yeah. Do you decide to go in other directions, which we need to do more of, I know, but where are you now? So right now, um, we do raise just a little bit of all the basic proteins. Um, We have a big portable greenhouse type building that has laying hens in it. So we've got about 700 laying hens out on pasture. They move every day. Um, We do broilers in the summer. We do 12 by 12 portable pens with them, um, six pens at a time, so 500 of them per batch. Uh, We do turkeys. We do the day range model with um, 250 turkeys right now. Those are on the farm right now. 
Um, and the cattle are our main thing. We do, uh, we started this spring with about 115 beef cattle, um, and we rotate them twice a day on the fresh pasture. So my husband's actually home moving cattle right now. Um, so they are in, you know, it's, it's the multi-paddock grazing or, um, adaptive multi-paddock grazing, um, where it depends on, you know, how quickly the grass is growing and how quickly it's recovered and, um, really managing a lot of pasture on our farm. And then we also have a small flock of sheep, which we're in the process of trying to grow, um, keeping back the ewes so that we can increase our lamb production because we're finding that to be pretty popular in the cities. Um, and pigs. We've got some pigs. We do those in batches of about 50 at a time. Okay, so yeah. quite the diversity yeah. of livestock. And what are your markets right now? Are you selling at yeah. farmer's markets? But Yeah, we do one farmer's market, the Woodstock, Illinois farmer's market on a Saturday. We found that to be a really great market. We've tried a couple other markets, but um, it's a lot of monkeying around, and it's it's hard to find a really great market, and, and it's really got to be worth your time to do it. Um, so we're sticking with Woodstock. Um, direct to customers as well. We do some buyer's clubs. Uh, we do a route in Madison and a route in Milwaukee. Um, so we go to those locations once every six weeks and deliver. And then, um, we are currently in the process of launching home delivery. So we're going to do one day FedEx ground delivery and our, you know, being South central Wisconsin, our one day delivery area includes all of Chicago down to central Illinois and up to the twin cities. So we get a lot of population that way. Wow. So we're really excited and, yeah, going to launch that probably next month, hopefully, um, when it gets a little cooler out. So and <laughs> in case so things go wrong. That, so the Buyers Club is, is not specifically like a CSA, but folks can order directly or do right. they? Right. They order directly. So we did a Meet CSA for a while, but found logistically that to be a little bit difficult because it was sort of outside of our website system. Um, it's, we have a great platform called Graze Cart, which for anybody doing, um, direct marketing of meats, I would recommend highly, um, that platform has made a ton of difference for us. So people can just go on and order whatever they want from a single steak to a 45 pound bundle of beef or pork or a mixed bundle or whatever. So they get exactly what they want and delivered to their neighborhood. Cool. And then the, the delivery side, will just expand the market even more. Yeah, yeah. So do you see, I mean, things really growing as far as protein-based diets and paleo and keto and all those things. Mm-hmm. We've, we former vegetarians, you <laughs> and I have shifted, but yeah. do you find, what do you find drives your customers knowing you, I would think, knowing their farmer yeah, I for our customers anyway, and everyone's target customer is going to be a little bit different, but we've found that our target customer is mostly looking for something that's not full of junk. They want it to be grass-fed. They want it to not have hormones and steroids and antibiotics and all of that stuff, and they want it to be to be convenient, and um, they like knowing their farmer and knowing that the animals are raised ethically and that the earth is being taken care of. But their number one is that it's got to be free from junk and taste really good. And I think above all, you can have all of the, you know, all of the the taglines you want. But if it doesn't taste really good, people aren't going to come back a second time. So that's kind of our top priority is making sure everything tastes really good and, of course, raised ethically. So when you... Um have been evolving the different 
diversity in the farm. We were talking earlier. Are there some things you tried that didn't work or things you shifted in, even in your marketing? It's difficult to keep track of all of the different enterprises. So we have sort of given ownership of enterprises to different people. So oh. the hen enterprise is really our employee Tina's um, main thing. So she is fully in charge of taking care of those. And, you know, when she needs help, we help her out and whatnot, but, um, that's really her enterprise. Um, so that kind of takes that off of our plate and out of our brains a little bit. And then the sheep are really owned by my 15 year old daughter. It's her sheep flock and she gets to make the decisions. She definitely has, you know, some help. And I'm a very hands-on person, especially when it comes to lambing, because I just like to be out and hang out with the lambs. So I've helped her along the way, but um, ultimately I, you know, let her make let her the roll. final decisions. Yeah. So it's it's good, especially for, for her to learn a business and to have to keep track of the finances and, you know, who's who and, you know, the yeah. genetics and all that sort of stuff. Um, so that's kind of how we've dealt with the overwhelming piece of, of having so much going on. Um, and then for instance, with, um, the broiler chickens, we needed some more chickens, but we didn't see a really good way to expand on our farm. So we have some friends that, um, will custom raise some chickens for us that we sell, um, into a wholesale restaurant market. Um, and that works for them because they get a little income and it works for us because we can fill the need. So when you were talking about your daughter and Ellie's sheep flock, integrating family has always been, I know, a key aspect for you but could you share a little bit of that because with us with this in her boots project we obviously talk to women and women farmers and a lot of women who are aspiring to be in your shoes in the sense of both farming actively but also raising a family mm -hmm. and integrating in that and mm -hmm. what advice would you give somebody who hasn't even put a toe into the family mm -hmm. realm because you had you had some kids when you started yeah. just about yep. but young they yeah. were pretty young yeah. but you've ended in Hybrids of homeschooling yeah. and integrating and running their yeah. own businesses, but they've always been an active part. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. When we moved to the farm, my two oldest were five and three, and we decided when we moved here in large part due to you, Lisa, to oh. homeschool. <laughs> Because, I remember that day yes. you came to one of our local gatherings yes. and everything was blowing away in the May wind. But, yes. but but you met community. We met people, yes. And it was going to that event. We literally took the day off. My oldest was in kindergarten. We took the day off and came up to the Cinco de Mayo party <laughs> and met the clan of homeschool people and left there saying, those are our people. Like the homesteady, you know, back to the earth, like kids running around everywhere kind of people. Um, and just sort of felt empowered, like, okay, we can do this schooling thing. It's really just an extension of parenting when they get a little older. So my oldest homeschooled from first grade to um, just this year. She went back into school as a 10th grader. And we've been really the most non-traditional homeschool family ever. I always said, you know, it's every year, every kid, you know, one step at a time. Um, but truly, my middle daughter, Kalina, went to school in fifth and sixth grade because there were some things that I couldn't provide for her and it was getting difficult and that was the right decision at that time and she's homeschooling now and that works really well for us. And my oldest went into school this year as a 10th grader and our youngest that was born after we moved to the farm is seven and she just went to second grade and we really kind of envisioned that we would homeschool all of our kids till they were at least middle school. 
but realized last year that I was too busy with the business and really could not give her all the attention she needed and her being super, super social. It school just seemed like a, a, a good fit and it was a tough transition really, but she loves it now and it's hard. It's really hard to do the parenting decision, but really it's gotta be, it's gotta be good f- for mom. It's gotta be good for the parent or it's, nobody's going to be happy. Um, <laughs> that's so important, but we have options. Do yeah. You know, that's what yeah. you did so beautifully is. You, do, you don't know till right. you get it. And I, I wish I had statistics. I realize it's still a very small slice of the pie, even the homeschooling pie of organic family farms yeah. that homeschool yeah. <laughs> and how we operate within that sustainable ag realm. Because for me personally, it was coming to the Moses Conference where I first, before our son was even born, that I met homeschool kids. Mm-hmm. I had never, just never encountered that. And and they really impressed me on multiple levels. Yeah. You know, so we planted those seeds. But for families like ours that want that flexibility mm-hmm. and to what you're doing too with teaching entrepreneurship and all the elements that go into a family business, that's huge. But you're right. You got to go with the flow and see where things land. And I think most importantly, as you've done, what your kids are like. I don't think yeah. you can make a decision at age four of what they're going right. to be like when they're 18. Right. But- that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. I always, when I meet other other women in, in the ag realm who are curious about homeschooling, they've got little kids. You're like, mm-hmm. should I put them in kindergarten or not? I always say, if you're curious, try it. Try the homeschooling bit. Do you mm-hmm. know? Because like with you, if you choose to go to school down the road, great. It's a positive family yeah. conscious decision versus the other way around where maybe school doesn't work and then you pull them out and then it's harder. Then it's There's hard. just yeah. more things to, to go through. But but how have you found the farm as a classroom for your kids? Yeah, it's been great. Um, they really are a part of what we do as far as chores, and they all have their favorite things to do. Um, Kalina, my middle daughter, is home right now, and she loves getting in the pig feeder to like clean out the pig feeder and things. That's, That's great. <laughs> um, but she gets to she gets to be involved with doing stuff. And there are some days where, you know, if we have to, um, move the cattle all the way back in and sort them out or whatever, like it'll, it might be all day of working on the farm. Then she just, you know, does a couple hours of school that day and then she'll do more school the next day, you know? So it's, it's just a very flexible schedule. And at this point she does have kind of more like out of the box curriculum, which, you know, we've done everything from out of the box curriculum to like unschooling where it's really super unstructured and, both are fine and kids are going to learn either way, but um, that's just what works for us right now. Yeah. And I think you're doing such an amazing service for our next generation, raising three girls mm-hmm. in this environment of both connection to the land, connection to farming, and connection to, as you just said, out of the box thinking, period. We need more of that. But uh, <laughs> how, um, how do you think from of a female lens, your girls, what are some things they're seeing differently? I don't even phrase that, but you know I mean? Because they're yeah. raised in such a unique environment. Yeah. Wherever they may go, farming or not. Yeah. I'm sure there's yeah. going to be a, a, a wide range. Right. They're very well, and, and our employees, except for one intern, summer intern, have been women. Our two full-time employees are women. And um, it's actually really funny. Our youngest daughter 
who's seven now, just like last year, my husband has this book called A Daughter Needs a Dad. And it's all these little quotes of, you know, why a daughter needs a dad. A daughter needs a dad to teach her that, you know, men can be wonderful and nice and whatever. I don't know. And one of them was a daughter needs a dad to teach her that she can do everything that a boy can do. And she, with sincerity, looked at him and was like, I don't understand. Like, what does that mean? Like, she didn't understand, like, why that even needed to be said. Like, duh, (laughs) of course, because she is surrounded by strong women doing things that men do all the time. You know, women in her world drive tractors and they are farmers and they are hauling livestock to, you know, the butcher. It's just we do everything anyway. So it was funny to her that that even needed to be stated. So, yeah, I love that. I love that my girls just sort of are growing up in a way that they don't see those same kind of boundaries that we necessarily saw, you know, and we're not even that old. But, you know, I mean, growing up in the 70s and 80s, there were still lots of barriers to get over, and there still are for sure. But um, I feel like my girls sort of feel like, why not? There's nothing they can't do. It's young women like your girls that you're leading that give us hope because we need more of that. So fantastic. Thank you, Jen. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of techsocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable, organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, In Her Boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.